what are your three greatest challenges that you're facing in this moment, in this movement? This was a question that was posed to me in my monthly mentor group, and immediately I didn't know. I didn't know or didn't have an answer to this question, and I had to pause and reflect on, well, what are some of my greatest challenges as a mindfulness teacher? And I'd like to be vulnerable today with you and to dive in a little bit to some of the things that came up for me, and then maybe we'll take a little time in the end to explore what might be arising for you. And one of the first things that arose for me is oppression. And how it came about was when I was actually sharing the three things that I'm noticing, the three challenges within my life, understanding oppression, my mentor challenged me in this in the moment and said, well, what is oppression? And, and was genuinely curious, and I don't think, you know, he was understanding how I was expressing how oppression shows up in every group, every space, with thoughts, actions, behaviors, writing on the wall, pictures in the space. Oppression is everywhere in, in everything. And when I expressed that, I, I think there was a little disbelief for like, what do you mean by that? And I actually had to pause and think, well, what do I mean by that? That oppression is in every group, setting, community, you name it. Whenever you step into a space, there is oppression that is there. Maybe it's historical oppression. Maybe it's oppression in the moment. And so I'm arriving at trying to understand, well, what is at the heart of oppression? And I'm still in the the, I guess, trying to figure that out, both in how I relate and interact with the world and how the the world interacts with me. So who I am in relationship to the world around me. And so I guess what I'm attuning to around oppression is the idea of harm and non-harm. And if we could imagine it as a spectrum, harm, non-harm, and in any given moment, in any given day, you can slide a anything you want back and forth between harm and non-harm. We're harming in some moments, we're not harming in others. And to me, maybe this is starting to move me in the direction of understanding, well, what is at the heart of oppression? And isn't it interesting that as a white cisgender male, with deep privilege, that I haven't ever truly paused and reflected on that question until very recently, what is oppression? If we could boil it down and define it into a few words, sentences, paragraph, what would be that definition? And it's not something that I I don't know. In this moment, I'll, I'll acknowledge a name. I'm not sure what is at the core or the root of oppression. When I think about why I practice meditation or why I practice mindfulness or why I, where, you know, why do I spend time sitting or standing or walking with awareness? It goes to the right back to the spectrum of harm and non-harm in any given moment based on my behaviors, actions, thought patterns. I'm sliding back and forth, right? And I think this really helps with this idea of right and wrong or good and bad I don't see the validity of those statements anymore because 
here's a very, here's an example. And this may or may not resonate with you. Given the nature of the Black Lives Matter movement and what is happening in the world, it may seem like an insignificant example. And I would encourage you to pause and to see how it resonates. So on last year in August, I went on a week-long silent meditation retreat. No phones, no reading, no music, no looking at each other. There, were a, there was a group of us of about 70 young adults. You were encouraged to look down. Although you could take in nature around you, you're encouraged to look down and not make eye contact. So there's no writing or any form of communication. And throughout this week, you're practicing mindfulness and meditation, focusing on the breath or nature around you. And from like 5.40 a.m. to 10 p.m. at night, we're developing concentration and present-focused awareness, something that I came to find was present-loving awareness. And in that mind state, after about seven days of cultivating concentration and present-loving awareness, there was a moment when I was in the bathroom I was washing my hands. There was, a, there was a brief second, maybe a millisecond, a microsecond, who knows how long. It was very brief, where I had finished washing my hands and I was reaching for a towel. And I reached for a towel. I took one, I washed my, and then I reached for another one. In that moment, I noticed this urge and this desire to consume, to use. And how many towels throughout my life have I used when I've only needed one? Or maybe I haven't needed any at all. And so in that moment, if we look at the lens of harm and non-harm, this small insignificant act is an oppressive act in nature. Because this towel, who knows where this towel is from? You know, how far did it travel? What was the production of turning that piece of paper or the wood into the piece of paper? And the planes and the cargo uh, cargo vessels, all of the humans involved, just getting that one sheet of paper so that I could dry off my hands. And I paused in that moment and I didn't even, I, I, there was that moment of insight that largely is what I'm practicing for and, and many on this mindfulness and meditation path are also interested in, is this moment of insight where you see, wow, that's, you know, how much is outside of my conscious awareness as I move from one room to the next, from inside, outside, how much do I consume and use that is destructive, that is harmful? And so it's moments like those that shift the balance in awareness from, okay, well, how can I bring non-harming into my life? And I think the scary thing is to acknowledge and name that you know, as I'm reflecting on oppression in this moment, is it even possible to get down to zero non-harming? And I don't think it is. I don't think you can ever not harm. There's always a sense of being swayed back and forth on that spectrum of harm and non-harm. And so the practices of awareness, of mindfulness, of compassion, of loving kindness, of gratitude, of recognizing goodness, all the things that we teach through Evolving Minds that I practice in my life— they shift that balance towards anti-oppression. So that was one challenge that was arising within my consciousness of, well, when I lead a community space, when I teach mindfulness, when I gather and, and build a community, how do I acknowledge and name oppression when it arises, 
because it's when, it's not if, it's always going to arise, it's present in the moment. How do I support that the community that is present and and name and acknowledge what's arising? And so here here's another example. We've just finished up about eight weeks of mindful living for professionals training over sixty educators within the Baltimore City Public School System. And a number of times I've had to name and acknowledge the movement, the Black Lives Matter movements here, the racism and and the police brutality and how there might be raw emotions, numb emotions, no emotions at all, a full spectrum of human experience. This was one of the first times that I've named these oppressive forces within a community that I've led. And going forward, as this Black Lives Matter movement peaks and comes down, unfortunately, naturally, as a movement does, based on the perception of it within the news media and and whatnot, a year, two years, three years from now, would it in every community that I lead a practice, would I not have to bring in that idea that there might be raw emotions here? For example, the prison industrial complex is still ravaging human bodies and minds, predominantly people of color. And and so when we, you know, three years from now, when I lead a mindfulness group or I'm the mindfulness teacher within that group, wouldn't I have to name and acknowledge oppression that is here and that is within this space? Because it exists. It exists within our collective conscious. So this transitions into the next point that I'd like to bring in, the challenge of lacking a true mentor around mindfulness and meditation. Now, I'm reading a book known as the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, and within the Tibetan culture in Buddhism, there's a deep devotion towards one's master and a lineage of passed down information from one to the from one student to the next. And it's largely, you know, been patriarchal and there is some integration and yet when I bring attention and awareness to the racist ideas of my consciousness, the sexist, the homophobic, all this cultural garbage that is within my consciousness and attempt to work with it, there's largely no guidance that I'm receiving from the meditation or mindfulness community, from let's say a master, although I don't really like using that word, there's that mentor, the piece that's missing that can, that can provide insight around, well, Anthony, the nature of oppression is this. And then that light bulb can go off in my mind like, oh, okay, uh, yeah, I, I understand. And then this transitions into the third challenge that I've noticed within this moment. And I think it's also important to acknowledge that one's greatest challenges when reflected on in one day can be vastly different than the next. They can just change so quickly and so fast because it's the nature of life. And so one of the challenges that came up for me as well and I think it's important to acknowledge as I name these challenges, there are, they're, they're, I'd, I'd say they're somewhat based within privilege and, and there are people in this moment without food, water, a home, family, friends, access to basic resources in, in this country and all over the world. So my challenges are held within that container and consciousness as well. And the one challenge that is a, that I that we're shifting into now is community. I love my friends. I love my team. And yet there is still a sense of a lack of a deep community of peers with a similar energy around mindfulness or, or spirituality or meditation and, and not in a sense of spirituality where, you know, oh, you know, the world, you know, this, this, this all and grandeur and checking out and, and, and really checking out and just 
that's not what I mean by spirituality. What I mean is the practice and cultivation of goodness, love, care, moving that dial from harm to non-harm. Where are those youth? Where are those adults? And, I've, and I'm largely surrounded by many of them. And yet we are not connected to, let's say, a mission or a vision or... And, and that's kind of where Evolving Minds comes in. And there's been a thirst almost, I would say, within me to really create that community where people feel belonging, you know, where they, where they can come in and be themselves. Like I'm even noticing some emotions in this moment where they can come in and they're not going to be judged or critiqued or the negative, you know, people aren't going to talk about them behind their backs. I mean, they will, right? Because that's a community. <laughs> and there will, it will be held within a container of, of love and kindness and caring for each other. One of the things that I like to envision about Evolving Minds in our future communities is you could call up 15 to 20 people from that community, the program that you've gone through in the middle of the night in a crisis, and they would all pick up. I mean, can we even do that now? And, and what communities are you a part of where you feel a deep sense of belonging and ability to be yourself and people will inspire you and uplift you and challenge you to fight oppression and understand who you are in the context of this life and yeah i don't know so i love everyone who you know i i'm surrounded by so many caring and loving people and yet there still feels some some little thing missing i can't quite name it i can't quite acknowledge it it's just a felt sense and i imagine you also feel similarly in some ways so I'd actually like to just do a brief pause. You know, I've talked a little bit. I've expressed some vulnerability. And I wonder what might arise for you. If you could take a pause right now and just reflect on what are some of the greatest challenges. Letting go of the judging mind, the self-critiquing, the right or wrong. What arises? What are some of the greatest challenges that you are facing as a leader, a teacher, an educator, a nonprofit? What, what are these challenges? I'm going to take a moment to to be silent and to really allow you to reflect in a space of uh, non-judgmentalness that I'll be holding for you. Thanks for tuning in this week. And may your challenges and may my challenges and may our collective challenges, may all of these awaken compassion within you, me, and all living beings. Take care. Bye-bye.